Okay. <laughs> All right. Let us pray. Let the good news come now, O Lord, not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. All right. So we'll see how many we have time for if I have nothing to say more. <laughs> so, and we'll do a uh, song um, in between. So that'll give me time to think of what I should have said the previous one. All right. So face down and I'll face up. All right. How do we reconcile between all of the different Christian churches and their different ways? Okay. A very theological topic. Um, uh, all right. Okay. So, um, so the question, how do we reconcile between all the different Christian churches and their different ways? So we're going to celebrate communion in, in a little bit. And that's a classic example. All, all, all churches, all Christian churches celebrate communion in some way, but if you've been to two churches, you've probably seen Christ, Christians celebrate communion differently, and their understanding of what it means is different. So how do we reconcile the fact that the churches um, do things differently? So um, uh, the, the scripture that comes to my mind um, that, that helps to answer that, it's a, it's a big topic, but... Um, Let's uh, let's turn to um, let us turn to if I can find it. All right, um, let's turn to page uh, eighteen of uh, chapter uh, sixteen of Matthew. That's page eighteen in the pew Bible um, in the New Testament section. So um, uh, uh, I'm going to read uh, the verses um, starting in chapter sixteen, verses thirteen. Through twenty, so uh, hear hear the word of the Lord. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do people say that the Son of Man is?" And they said, "Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets." He said to them, "But who do you say that I am?" Simon Peter answered, "You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God." And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, in this passage, uh, Jesus uh, asks, um, he's, he's in the vicinity of this town, Caesarea Philippi, um, a town named after not one but two kings, uh, Caesar um, and Philip, uh, the, the local Herod uh, puppet king. And he asks them, who do they say the Son of Man is? Who do they say he, Jesus, is? And they throw out some, some uh, options, John the Baptist, Elijah, uh, Jeremiah. So very high praise. They, they're, they're equating Jesus with people who everyone would admire. And Jesus pushes them and says, who do you say I am? And uh, Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are uh, the anointed king of, of uh, God's promise. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, says blessed are you. And he says uh, that this was not something you figured out on your own. You're, you're smart, Peter, but you're not that smart. 
he says, that my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And he says, you are Peter. And then he makes a play on words. Peter's name means rock. And then he says, upon this rock, and different different traditions, again, this is a place where we actually uh, uh, disagree on exactly what this means, but uh, he says, he says, on this rock, some people say that the rock is Peter himself, uh, that, that Peter would be the, the basis of what he's about to say. Other people say it's a play on Peter's name meaning rock. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock, the thing you just said, Peter, um, but what we all agree is what comes afterwards, on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus says that um, we don't build his church. And pastors sometimes forget that. Uh, some, sometimes even church people maybe forget that. But ultimately what we believe is that the church is the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus um, is responsible for it. I've, I've started saying this, this uh, sentence. My wife told me that she didn't like it. I would say, I would say, uh, God's still in heaven. And I believe that. But maybe a better way of, of saying the same thought is the tomb is still empty. Jesus is not dead. Jesus has risen. And uh, when we look at when we look at trouble in the world, when we look at the the trouble between churches, we can say oh, it's all terrible. Um, things are going downhill. Um, uh, I see these statistics. In seven years, the pre- the the mainline church has aged two years. So there's a big study of of the mainline church in America. That's uh, Presbyterians, Methodists, and others uh, of of these kind of traditions. That in seven years. The average age has increased too. So that tells you that basically it's like there's nobody new coming in at the, at the younger ages and the church is just aging almost as fast as the, the people in it age. So we can look at this and we can say, oh my goodness, it's terrible. We have to do something. Uh, we have to change our ways. We have to uh, quit doing the thing we used to do. We've got to start acting like that church down the street or the one across town. Uh, we can say we need to change the way we do things. We need to adopt different methodologies or, or different beliefs um, uh, because we, we look at the we look at the church and we say that there's problems. But what Jesus says is, sit down, take a breath, you know, relax. I will build my church, and so I find that to be very helpful when I'm facing problems like this, um, like the ones I mentioned. Uh, to remember that that Jesus is 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 still in the sky. The tomb is still empty. Um, and he will build his church. I was reading um, uh, for the last couple of weeks. I've been reading through uh, something. Uh, John Calvin's "The Institutes of the Christian Religion." It's a real page turner, and um, I had the opportunity to read it all in seminary and, and never got through it. So I've been um, I've been actually consulting. There's a section um, he wrote on the church, and I've been reading it in particular because. Our denomination, or my denomination, the Presbyterian Church, you're, you in this congregation are part of two denominations. Um, but the Presbyterian Church is fracturing. It's, it's, this exact argument is, has come to the point where there seems to be no reconciling what the church, what the church, um, believes about, about almost anything. There's a lot of suspicion, there's a lot of hostility, there's a lot of people not acting in, in a Christian way. And so I've been reading, what do we believe about the church itself? This sort of question. And I was struck by something that Calvin said. He was a, he was a Protestant reformer back in the, um, in the, uh, 1500s. And he is saying basically, we can no longer go along with what the Catholic Church is doing. We need to split. We need to separate. Um, 
And at the same time, he's saying this is a monumental sin for Christians to, to, to not be able to reconcile because it affects our, our witness to the world. But what he says really struck me. He says the solution to the problems of the church is the sacraments. He says when you read the word and when you celebrate the sacraments, as we'll do today, those are the solution for the problem. That as long as we are about the work of reading and studying God's word and celebrating the sacraments, those are the medicine that fixes our problem. And so I think the solution to our problem is to do that, to trust that, that the tomb is empty, um, Jesus is still reigning, and through this mystery of, of his word and his sacraments, he will build his church. So, amen. All right. All right, this is one from Kurt. I forgot to mention the last one was Jim. I kept looking at him, and that's why. Um, but uh, Kurt asks uh, about this. He says, Judges 2, uh, verses 1 through 23, and if that's too long, he focuses in on the last section. So let's take a look at that. Let's see how long the verses are. Judges 2. Judges. So on in in the Pew Bible, that should be on page... 218 in the um, in the Old Testament section of the Pew Bible. So page 218, Judges 2. And uh, I will read it. Let's see, how long is that? That's basically the whole chapter. So um, I'm going to read the headings, and then I'll read the last, last section. So Israel's disobedience, um, je- death of Joshua, and Israel's unfaithfulness. So... Uh, talking about the, 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 the lead into the passage I'm going to read is talking about how, um, uh, this is during the period of time when, when, uh, uh, Moses led the people out of God out of the, out of the Holy Land, I mean, out of the Promised Land. Um, Joshua then, uh, led them after Moses died. Joshua led them into the Holy Land. And, uh, despite all that, they were not, they were not faithful. They were disobedient to God. Um, and then uh, Joshua dies. So uh, we're going to pick it up um, uh, during yet another period of Israel's unfaithfulness. So it says, uh, starting, I'm going to read from 11. Then the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and worshipped the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and worshipped Baal and the Astartes. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the power of their enemies all around so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them to bring misfortune as the Lord had warned them and sworn to them. And they were in great distress. So marched out there means whenever they went into battle. Um, uh, so then starting in verse 16, then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the power of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen even to their judges for they lusted after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their ancestors had walked and had obeyed the commands of the Lord, but they did not follow their example. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and he delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge 
for the Lord would be moved to pity by their groaning because of those who persecuted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they would relapse and behave worse than their ancestors, following other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them. They would not drop of their any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their ancestors and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. In order to test Israel whether or not they would take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their ancestors did, the Lord had left those nations, not driving them out at once, and had not handed them over to Joshua. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. All right, so um, so again, the, the context is is that uh, the people of God are freshly arrived in the Holy Land, um, and God had told them that if they, uh, if they obeyed him and were faithful to him, that he would drive out the people who, who lived in that land. And that never happened. You know, it's interesting to me, one of the, um, one of the, one of the criticisms that uh, modern-day atheists, uh, you know, Sam Harris and, and um, uh, Christopher Hitchens, uh, uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, bring against against the the Bible is this idea of a God of wrath um, and and judgment uh, who who is indifferent to the people um, in this land, um, and that's actually a big topic to to address. But you see what's happened here is God has said uh, essentially I I have a covenant with you. I made a covenant with your ancestors. He speaks about the covenant in um, in uh, verse. 20, he says, because the people have transgressed my covenant, if you're going to act like the people all around the land, then I might as well just have them, right? There's, there's no difference. You're not, you're not making any kind of a difference in this community. So it's not that God is, is somehow uh, prejudiced against the people in the land. He's saying, I need a people who are, who are faithful to me so that then I can use them to be the instruments of me saving the whole world. And if you're not going to be part of that mission, then there's no reason in particular why I should bless you over those people. So, um, so God is, is, is saying, essentially, if, if you're no different, then I might as well just keep the people who are here. I mean, you can, you can continue to live there, but I'm not going to somehow use you to be the means of, of, um, of pushing these people out of the, out of the land. So, um, that's that's the uh, the the answer to the question. As we read about as we read about the book, uh, as we read about the story of God's people, if you read kind of this section, it talks about how God is going to bring them into this land flowing with milk and honey, and they're going to have this land. It's going to be um, a special place because they're going to He's going to be their God, and they're going to be His people, and flowing with milk and honey and so forth. And if you read, you know, the rest of it, uh, until Jesus arrives, that's not what happens. And so we're right here at the passage where God's explaining or, or we're, we're seeing, we're witnessing why that didn't happen. And the answer is because of Israel's unfaithfulness that God, God elected that if you're not going to be part of my work, my work's still going to get done. I, I, I'm going to conclude my work. He says, I have a, I have a covenant. I keep covenant even if you don't. However, I'm not going to use you as the instruments of carrying out my work of salvation. So uh, we see that. We also see this thing over and over again. It says, it says, um, Israel did this, 
and the Lord would be moved to pity. So what verse is that? That's verse 18. It says, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord is with the judge, so, so God is blessing them through this judge, and uh, then the Lord uh, uh, would be moved to pity by their groaning. Just stop and think about that. Is that the image that people have of God? You know, I think a lot of us are troubled by the word pity. Um, but think about, you know, you've seen the, did you see, how many of you have seen the picture of the Syrian boy? So, show of hands, how many, so most of you have seen that picture in the news. You know, we have a God who looks at the world and doesn't simply say, well, you made your own bed and, you know, you're going to have to lie in it. We have a, we have a God, we believe in a God who is not a distant God, who is not somewhere off, you know, beyond the orbit of Pluto. I made it, but I don't have any particular connection to it right now. We have a God who looks at the tragedies in the world, um, the ones that make the news and the ones we'll never hear about. You know, the ones, you know, I just saw in the news the other day, um, the, anyway, sometimes social media campaigns are helpful. The, um, the Lou Gehrig's disease, the, the ice bucket challenge that's a year old, that's, that's been very successful. There's been some actual new and promising research that was funded by that ice bucket challenge. But at the same time, there's things, you know, the bring back our girls. You remember last year the, um, the Boko Haram kidnapping 200 girls in that village in Nigeria. There's tragedy in this world. And what we see all through the scriptures over and over again is that God says, God is stuck. God, God is kind of stuck between these two places. He's got a plan. I'm going to carry out my covenant to restore creation to the way it should be. But at the same time, I can't simply wipe you off the map and start over again because I have pity for you. I can't let you simply kill yourselves because I have pity for you. Uh, you know, God, essentially the, the, the story of Noah and the ark at the very beginning is God says, you know, the, the story answers the question, why doesn't God simply start over again? And it's, it, the story tells us that option has been taken off the table. God has decided you are what I've, what I've got to work with and I love you too much to kill you all and start over again. And at the same time, I can't bear what you do to each other. So that's the place God is in. And so what we see is God is, God is almost struggling. How do I, how do I work with you? I have pity for you because I see these tragedies. And at the same time, I can't do the thing I want to do because you refuse to be part of that. Now, God is sovereign and ultimately Israel over, over a long period, you know, who, how, who knows how long it would have been instead of Instead of uh, a thousand years, it might have been a hundred years. We don't know what God's uh, original thinking was. But uh, at the right time, ultimately, Jesus is born and God carries out his plan. But we see now why God is stuck between this, this dilemma of a creation that's a mess that God is determined to put right, and at the same time a pity that he can't simply say, well, I'm going to let the Amorites conquer you and we'll start all over again with them. Or, you know, God has too much pity to let us kind of wallow in our, in our misery. So that would be my, my message here. Thank you for a heartwarming and <laughs> <laughs> delightful passage. So, 
So Judges 2. All right, uh, we're going to sing one more song, and I think that'll be all we have time for. And uh, then we'll we'll transition to communion. So.